Just a real quick note before we get started, I wanted to go ahead and make a mention that we have three incredibly talented writers on today's episode, and you should follow them all on Twitter. We've got S.H. Cooper, which you can find at Miss Pippinacious, Augie Peterson, who you can find at Augie P. Writes, and Logan Noble, who you can find at Logan underscore Noble. All of these will be in the show notes as well as links to their websites and all of their other projects. With that said, look for some more information in the closing remarks and let's go ahead and get this thing rolling. came back with stories. Well, I mean, I suppose that's pretty good. I do worry about the ones who didn't, though. Hmm. Can't imagine they're sleeping well. All right, go ahead and come on over here. Have a seat. Yeah, yeah, I see you over there. Let's get a couple of things out of the way real quick. One, you've got a problem. Two, I can help you with that problem. But three... You've got to do something on your own. Now what I want you to do is I want you to listen carefully to the prompt you'll receive. The hook. Take 14 days. That's two weeks. Use it or some part of it to write something. Create something. Doesn't matter if it's a short story, poetry, or something else, but you've got to get that out of your brain and onto a page or screen. Most importantly, though, you've got to share it out there. Either by sending it to me, or by posting it somewhere and putting up a link we can all find it. If you don't, what's going to end up happening is it's going to settle in too deep for even me to be able to help you. And then you're on your own. All right, go ahead and sit on back, relax, and listen. If you find yourself walking out by the old airfield towards evening, make sure you've got smokes. If those guys in the coveralls in the hangars are there, the ones that never step out into the light, you pass them around, unless the runway is lit. Then you run. See what you can do with that. Remember, 14 days. Now, we're going to go ahead and do things just a little differently this time. I've gotten three really incredibly good submissions. I've gone ahead and narrated them for you. You'll be hearing them here in just a moment. My own work on the prompt from last time will come out a week after this airs. You'll get kind of an extra-sode, I think that's what the kids call them. Now the first story I have for you is written by Augie Peterson. You can find more of what she does on her own podcast, The Short Stories of Augie Peterson, and also in the show notes. The hell are show notes? Are we sending out notes to people? Graveyard Shift, Augie Peterson I think I might be going crazy. I think something might actually be wrong with me, and it's not all just in my head. Today I was greeted as Dr. Barker by a patient I had previously thought was dead. Now, there are a few inconsistencies that are important to mention here. For one, 
I'm not a doctor. I'm the laundry guy that works the night shift here. Steadfast Manor is an extended care facility housing about 50 patients dealing with various diseases, and it's my job to do their laundry every night. I spend my shift in a small laundry room in the basement off of our main services hall, kept company by three large-capacity washers and dryers. I don't interact with patients unless someone wanders down here. But tonight, when the patient sat up from their gurney, pulled hard on my scrub top, and spoke with their rancid breath, Call the nurse, Dr. Barker. Needless to say, I was shaken. Maybe some more context is necessary for what I'm trying to tell you. Sorry, this has all just happened a few hours ago, and I've only just made it home to write all this down. That's the only way I seem to remember things anymore. I've been losing more time these days, and it's starting to scare me. I've tried keeping journals, but I think my computer is deleting them. I started working at Steadfast Manor last September. In a few weeks, I'll have been there a whole year. I've suffered with insomnia for most of my life, so I figured I might as well try a night shift or two and make some money off of the fact that I can't sleep. I never finished med school, but always loved the feel, smell, and hustle of a hospital. I don't want to be laughed at for trying to apply for a position as a nurse, so I thought the laundry might be a good fit. The ad popped up and it looked easy enough. So now, I sit around all night doing laundry and watching Netflix on my phone. It's nice to have some time to myself, but I wish there was a bit more interaction with patients. Time flies by and sometimes I don't even realize my shift is nearly over until I glance at the clock and it's 5am. Thing is, I've noticed this weird uptick in deaths at the manor lately. I know I've only been here a short time, but... Just in the last three weeks, we've had six people die. To make things worse, they're all still hanging out in the service hall I mentioned earlier. They're lying on gurneys under white sheets waiting for the morgue to come get them. They're usually pretty prompt, but I can't blame them for not wanting to make a trip each week to the same place. The service hall is a long, dimly lit concrete hallway that leads from one set of double doors to another. The only room down here is a laundry room. One set of doors opens up from the hospital, and the others outside to the parking lot. We use it for ambulances, deliveries, and when the morgue comes to collect the dead. Lately, I've been hearing something about a Dr. Barker through the laundry chute. The nurses often talk about his sandy blonde hair and dreamy brown eyes. It's kind of strange how they talk about him. It's like we could be twins. We even went to the same med school. Maybe it's my paranoia, but it seems like he's connected in some way to these deaths. I googled the guy, and the only thing I found was a rejected research paper about some kind of inhalant that could reanimate the dead. If that doesn't send up red flags, I don't know what does. He sounds like a nutcase, and I'm glad I don't have to mingle with him in the hallways. From what the nurses say, he seems charming, but also like the kind of guy that keeps disembodied heads in his freezer. Of course, I've never met the guy. I don't interact with the staff, either. The only exposure I get to others is when they push yet another dead body into my hallway and chat about stuff as they toss down the laundry. I enjoy being a creepy loner. It's a hobby. Besides, it's fun to make up conspiracy theories from my secluded laundry room. Now you might be thinking that Steadfast is this grimy place that only houses the insane and old people that are out to eat each other. But really, this place is gorgeous. The walls are... 
all murals of landscapes from around the world hand-painted by local artists. Each room is based off of a theme. There's a train room, a hot air balloon room, and one that's all steampunk. It's pretty relevant and stays extremely clean thanks to the janitorial supervisor. The service hall isn't even that bad to look at. The lighting is soft, the concrete is white, and there's epic insulation that keeps the reverb under control. So tonight when I started hearing voices I couldn't explain, I didn't think much of it. While it might look nice, the building used to be a school, so it's got old bones and the pipes sometimes creak. When I heard it again, I removed my headphones and paused my show. It was someone speaking, mumbling the same thing over and over. I assumed it must have been another wandering member of the manor and exited the laundry room to usher them back through the doors. However, when I looked, there was no one there. A chill ran up my spine because I was sure I had heard something. But I eventually shrugged it off. About an hour later, I heard the same thing, but it sounded like more than one person. A quick look at the clock told me it was way past everyone's bedtime. The nighttime meds they'd give these people could tranquilize an elephant. My heart leapt up in my throat, and I, again, glanced out in the hallway. <laughs> this time, two of the bodies were sitting straight up, their white sheets draped over their heads like cheap Halloween ghosts. My entire body became frigid, and I couldn't move, although every instinct of my body was telling me to bolt out of those doors behind me. A third body started to seize on their gurney. The two that were sitting up turned their heads to follow me as I went to help the patient I had assumed, until now, was dead. He grabbed my shirt, and with breath that could have been air from a coffin, asked Dr. Barker to call the nurse. I wish I had remembered what happened after this. But I blacked out and lost time yet again. These blackouts had become more and more frequent lately, a strange occurrence I had only ever dealt with when I was stressing out over college assignments. The next thing I recall, I was back in the laundry room loading another washer full of detergent powder. I dropped the box on the ground and soon joined it, sitting with my knees pressed tightly into my chest and trying not to panic. I choked and coughed, rising to leave the laundry room and get away from the cloud of powder surrounding me. I rushed through the double doors into the hospital, attempting to ignore the now blood-stained sheets that laid over the three bodies. A receptionist looked surprised to see me, but soon a wide smile spread across her face. In a familiar tone, she called, Dr. Parker, I didn't think I'd see you tonight. How are you? I I'm not Dr. Parker. I work in the laundry room. I said, short of breath. Oh, you're funny. You and your twin are playing tricks again, huh? Mr. Cooper is ready to have his bed changed. You know, not many doctors offer to freshen up our patients' beds, but we really appreciate the helping hand. My mind's eye went dark, but before I slipped away, one thought rang through my mind. Seven in three weeks. That's a record. Now the next piece is written by S.H. Cooper, a name which might be familiar to some of you from listening to other horror podcasts. S.H. Cooper can also be found in various locations which will be in these mysterious show notes. Anyway, last requests, S.H. Cooper. Miss Grady was the first to go, then Mr. O'Toole and Miss Shafford. 
one after another, starting just after my night shift began at 10. I only knew because Bill, one of the nurses, came in with an abundance of bedding and towels. Being in the laundry room, I was usually one of the last to know when one of her residents died. Really? I said as Bill passed off the laundry cart to me. All three? He shrugged. Bill wasn't the type to get emotionally attached. It happens, usually around the holidays, but when the colder seasons start setting in too, guess it's better to be dead than to deal with winter. Have the families been called? Marta says she'll take care of it. She's just waiting for pickup to happen first. Pickup? I asked. You've been here how long and you don't know how this goes, Gus? Bill quirked a brow. A few months. The bodies need to go to the morgue before we call the families. Keeps the other residents from having to stare at them and contemplate their own mortality, you know? If they're even still able to form any kind of real thoughts. His flippancy towards the recently departed would have been somewhat alarming if I weren't used to it already. When I'd first met him, I had thought he was being cold. Now, though, I recognized it as a practiced indifference, a protection against the inevitable loss that accompanied working in an old folks' home. It was times like that that I was glad I was only the laundry boy. I knew names and room numbers and little else going on upstairs. Hey, Bill said, switching topics. You finished that table linen load from earlier? Uh, yeah. It's ready to go back up to the dining room. Good. Bring it up, would you? Gotta get the tables made up before breakfast and we're shorthanded as is. Sure. Bill left after a little small talk and I separated the towels and sheets he'd brought down. I tossed them into a couple washers and rolled out the cart with the table linens to bring it upstairs. Being one of the seen and not heard members of staff, I rarely took the most direct routes to wherever I needed to go. Mason House Retirement Facility had gone through a lot of incarnations since it first opened its doors, but its start had been as a private hospital for the wealthy. Because of that, it had a lot of servants' corridors tucked away behind discreet doors, which we now called the service hallways. Same thing, really. They were reserved for the lowest paid and least respected. My laundry cart squeaked noisily as I pushed it along. The sound echoed hollowly in the silence around me. The lighting was dim, casting long shadows along the whitewashed bricks. I hated those hallways, especially since I was often the only one in them. The service elevator offered a momentary reprieve from the creepy atmosphere, being bright and loud. When it opened again, though, it was to yet another long, poorly lit, quiet hall. I could see the light shining under the double doors at the far end and started quickly for it. It was silly, I knew. I was a grown man in my twenties, spooked by being alone in an old building. Realizing it was silly, though, didn't help the feeling go away. I was so focused on that thin strip of fluorescent light signaling my escape back in a normal retirement home setting that I didn't notice the beds lined up against the wall just inside the doors. Not until I was passing them. Nurse, a frail voice whispered from one. Water, please. It's hard to make out who was lying there. A man, I thought, just one of the residents. Sometimes the orderlies stash them in the service halls when they clean their rooms. I didn't think it was the most ethical way of going about things, but I kept my mouth shut. I couldn't risk losing my job over something that didn't seem to be hurting anyone. Uh, you want water? I asked. Water, he repeated. Okay, let me grab a nurse for you. 
The man didn't respond, and I shouldered my way through the double door. It swung shut behind me. There was a nurse's station on my way to the dining hall, and I paused as I passed. Marta was seated at the computer, squinting over at the top of her glasses and pecking away at the keyboard. Hey, Marta, I said. Gus? She nodded. There's a guy back in the service hallway asking for some water. Do you think you could get some for him? She glanced up from her typing. Hmm? A guy? Yeah, I couldn't tell who. It's pretty dark back there. His room's probably being cleaned or something. You mean the one outside the rec room? Uh, yeah, I, I guess. Nobody's supposed to be in there, she grumbled, getting to her feet. I told them that's where I was keeping... Are those tablecloths? Good. Go set those up. I'll check the hallway. I nodded and continued on my way to the dining hall. I'd only finished covering half the tables when Marta came to find me. Are you trying to be a little shit? She asked thinly. Huh? Was my intelligent reply. I went to check on the resident you said was asking for water. Nobody was there except for the three I put there. Maybe it was one of them? She arched her brow with a frown. You think one of the dead is asking for a drink? D-dead? I stammered. Yes, dead. That's where I'm keeping them until the morgue can pick them up. But one asked me. I've been here a long time, Gus, and I've seen every kind of stupid prank you young people try to play. I'm going to warn you once. Don't try me. I don't have the patience for that nonsense. No, that that's not it, I swear. She just held up her index finger and shook her head. I let my mouth snap shut and she turned on her sensible heel and walked out. I finished making up the tables in a confused fog. I was certain I'd heard a man's voice asking me for water, hadn't I? He'd even confirmed it. Either Marta was yanking my chain or I was going batty. I felt her unhappy gaze on me as I passed again on my way back to the service hall. I didn't meet her eyes. The hallway seemed even darker when I was standing in its doorway again. I hesitated. My hands twisting nervously around the handle of the cart. Now that I was actually looking, I could see that there were three beds all lined up in a row off to one side. I thought I'd been able to see a man's face through the shadows before, but now I realized all three were covered with a white sheet. It was only the outlines of the bed's occupants that were visible. With a shaky inhale, I ducked my head down to avoid looking at them and started forward. As I went by the first bed, a thin, soft voice called out from beneath the sheet. May I have another blanket, nurse? I'm so cold. My breath hitched in my chest and I picked up the pace. But a second voice came from the next bed as I walked beside it. Nurse, I need my glasses. Get them, won't you? And then a third voice, the same as the one I'd heard when I'd come off the elevator. Water, nurse, water. They echoed off the walls, surrounding me, repeating their requests over and over. Blanket. Glasses. Water. Blanket. Glasses. Water. I abandoned my cart with a shout and dashed back through the double doors, into welcome light. Marta poked her head out from over the nurse's station counter. Gus, what are you doing? Don't you hear them? I asked pleadingly, pointing to the hall. Who? The three of them in there, she sighed. The dead people? Yes! I don't know what you're playing at. 
Gus misbehaving? I jumped at the sound of Bill's voice from over my shoulder. He was standing behind me with a tray of small, empty plastic cups, the kind they handed out medicine in. He's acting strange, Marta said with clear disapproval. Are you on something, Gus? No, I replied adamantly. Come here, listen. It took some persuading, but she finally came around the corner and joined us in front of the service hallway. Bill smirked, bemused, and Marta crossed her arms over her chest and tapped her foot impatiently. Little by little, I eased one of the doors open and waited. The hallway was silent. Marta looked decidedly unimpressed. And? Just, just wait, okay? I begged. Still, all remained quiet. I don't have time for this, she huffed. Marta, please. Oh, come on, Marta, give the kid a break. Can't you see he's scared? Bill said teasingly. At the sound of his voice, a low groan filled the service hallway. Nurse, a dry voice rasped. Water! Marta and Bill froze, their expressions sinking into shock. Nurse! The second voice called. It had taken on a sharper edge. Glasses! Where are my glasses? Blanket! The third cried. There was a menacing undertone to the word. All I asked for was a blanket! Water! Water! The first hissed. Water is what I asked for. What did you bring me? You, nurse, was the second voice again. Come closer so I can see your face one more time. What the fuck are you doing? Bill demanded, his voice trembling. The tray of empty cups slipped from his hand and clattered against the floor. I'm not doing anything, I started to say. But Bill had me by the back of the shirt and threw me against the wall. The air flew from my lungs and I gasped breathlessly. Bill! Marta screamed. Do you think this is funny? His face filled my vision and I could only shake my head. Stop! I croaked, confused and afraid. Please! From the still open hallway door, the third voice cackled. Don't ask him for anything. We learned that. We all learned that. The first voice crowed in agreement. But we were not the first... We learned, the second said, and then the other two joined in until their voices raised in a vicious, crackling whirlwind that poured from the service hallway. We learned, we learned, we learned. Bill's mask of fury melted into a frightened one and he reeled back away from me. He stared at the doorway for a moment, his mouth gaping, open and closed, open and closed. They're lying, he yelled at no one in particular. Marta was shrieking and running back towards the nurse's station. There was the rustling of sheets from inside the service hall and then a long, slow creak, like someone was starting to climb out of one of the beds. Bill started to back away, one arm held out in front of him defensively. It was your fault, he half whispered. You were always so needy. If you just, if you had just stopped, I wouldn't have had to do it. I wouldn't have done it. The voices continued to grow, deepening into growls. We learned. The doors started to swing open. I slumped to the floor and huddled in as small a ball as I could manage against the wall. My eyes squeezed shut. Bill screamed and screamed and screamed. The voices filled my head. We learned. There was a thud. Bill's desperate shouts. The sound of dragging, of nails biting into the floorboards. 
of desperate, futile struggle. The doors slammed shut again, and all went quiet. And when I could finally force myself to open my eyes, Bill was nowhere to be seen. And the last piece we have for you this episode is written by Logan Noble. You can find more of his works and information in the show notes or on his website at logannobleauthor.com. This story is called Night Shift at the Blue Acres Care Facility. Jake's phone died with a feeble buzz. Jake tore his earbuds out from his ears and stuffed both his phone and the headphones into the front pocket of his scrubs. Just his luck. Stuck on the night shift with no music. He looked out over the quiet of the care facility. The silence of the place was starting to get to him. He wished he'd kept his job at McDonald's. Sure, the pay was better here, but the hours certainly weren't. He'd been stuck with the graveyard shift at Blue Acre Care Facility. It was his job to serve as security between the hours of 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. the next morning. He was a knight in scrub armor for a building of old people who couldn't care less about him being there. The only other employees in the building were some caddy nurses at the front desk, another security guard in the east wing, and his buddy Daryl working laundry downstairs. Five days ago, Jake had been on the laundry crew as well. Then it started happening. Old people began dying. Not the normal way they do in facilities like this. This was the fishy sort of death. Sometimes multiple in one night. The night shift nurses, during their rounds, would find them, mouths open wide and their dry eyeballs bulging. Maybe. Jake suspected that was an exaggeration. You know what wasn't an exaggeration? The corpses in the basement. The biggest snowstorm in southwest Michigan had struck earlier in the week. The heavy ice and snow had pulled down power lines and trapped people in their homes. Most of Allegan had lost its power, including the morgue up the road. They couldn't get the bodies. No power to keep them cool, so they were being kept in the service hallway in the basement. Covered in sheets with the doors locked up, a portable cooling system running overtime to keep the bodies cold. Daryl said that the hum of the thing was driving him crazy down in the laundry room. The owners of Blue Acres had lost it. They couldn't figure out why their patients were dying. Was it disease? Something more sinister? Jake had been pulled from laundry and stuck at a security desk until an investigation could be completed. His job was to watch the hallway. That's it. The nurses did everything else. Everything had been quiet, though. Not that Jake minded that. What could he possibly do if someone came strolling down the hallway anyway? Some tall fella reaching for a door handle, smiling at Jake as he... It's so cold. Jake startled and nearly fell from his chair. Someone had just spoke. It had been clear enough that he felt like it was coming from directly behind him. Jake jerked his head around. No one in the hallway except for him. Nothing. You need sleep. You need to get on the day shift. He settled back in, alert for a few minutes. After a while, the complete and utter silence wore on him. Jake felt his eyes growing heavy. He let them close, just for a second. Behind his eyes, tinged at the edges with darkness, the hallway stretched out. 
Bad art and maps of the facility dotted the walls. Ice crept up from the floor, frost turning hard as it reached ever higher. Something was walking down the center of the hallway. Impossibly tall, spindly arms tipped with thin fingers. Fear blossomed in Jake's chest, red hot. He got a quick glance at the figure before he averted his eyes. It was maggot gray, its wrinkled torso shot through with cerulean veins. It walked in a jerky movement that made Jake's head swim. The ice was creeping higher and higher, consuming wall lights like black mold in a rotting house. The maggot thing turned its head and stretched its neck out, the loose skin pulling ever tighter at the base of its squashed head. It's so cold. Please, Lord, it's so cold. Metal crashed against something hard and Jake screamed awake, his hands lashing out at his desk. He stood up, his heart thudding. Midway down the hallway in front of him, the basement door had been thrown open. Muffled footsteps echoed down his desolate hallway, growing distant as the metal door closed. Someone's breaking in. Without thinking, Jake ran around his desk and charged towards the closing door. He'd fallen asleep and someone had taken the opportunity to rush down the stairs. No, not today. He was going to put an end to this. Jake reached the door right before it latched. He yanked hard and threw himself through. He took the stairs two at a time, his chest heaving. His heart was threatening to beat through his ribcage. He had no plan, no way to fight an intruder. What are you doing? Jake stiff-armed the basement door and found himself on the other side. He looked right, facing the laundry and boiler room. Empty. He turned left, his eyes scanning up from the floor. When he saw it, he felt his stomach churn. Blood covered every inch of the floor. A severed hand lay off to the side, coated in red-tinged frost. Its deceased owner lay in the center, torn asunder. Organs gleamed pink. Dark skin was coated crimson. Daryl, his only friend, dead. Jake fell into the wall, stifling a scream. He was barely holding on. At the end, just beyond Daryl's mutilated corpse, the utility hallway double doors were thrown wide. Cold air rolled through into the main hall. The sound of the industrial cooling machine droned on, the hum of a thousand mechanical wasps. Jake could see everything. It's so cold, please. Save us, please. He saw two rows of gurneys on each side of the utility hallway. Twelve sheets covering twelve cold bodies. The intruder must still be down here. He'd unlocked the utility door. He'd killed Daryl. Fear and rage melded inside of him. He knew in the rational part of his brain that he should flee. Call the police and let them hunt this murderer down. But Jake didn't want that. He wanted to hurt this monster break his bones, inflict on him what he had on Daryl. His tennis shoes crunched on the frosty floor. His breath misted. Claustrophobia clamped an icy hand around Jake's throat. The utility hallway was a small space, only a few closets and with extra supplies or old furniture. The corpses took up every other square inch. Jake looked around, his fist clenched. He wasn't sure what he was expecting, but... Voices seared through his brain... Jake howled and clamped his hands to his ears. It did nothing to stop them. It was a pandemonium of wails and howls, punctuated with whispered threats. The sound was coming from inside his head. Ice was creeping up the walls. A pipe suddenly burst, the sound blowing Jake's eardrums out. 
He reeled, his hands thrown out for balance. His fingers found the cold resistance of a corpse. He cried out and hugged his arm back to his body. He was beginning to blubber now. He felt helpless. The double doors slammed shut. Jake stopped and stared. You're trapped. He heard the door lock engage with a final click. The air was ice now. It was getting colder. Jake rushed the doors and threw his shoulder into them. They rattled, but did not give. He did it again and again, the shock of it traveling through his body. He could feel his face and fingers going numb. The voices raised in pitch, laughter keening through. The corpses were laughing at him. They'd sprung a trap. He was a victim now. But for what purpose? Why? From behind him, Jake heard the silky rustle of sheets moving. Jake paused his attack on the door. The voices had gone silent. He wanted to turn around. He wanted to see what he'd heard. Jake did. Tears forming in his eyes. All twelve corpses were sitting up, wrinkled skin and dry, bulging eyes, pale flesh gone loose with age. One by one, each corpse smiled, lips pulling up into a rigid mockery of a human smile. Tears rolled down Jake's cheeks. He was frozen, his back pressed hard into the unyielding door. Then, from the corner of the hall where the darkness gathered, the figure from his nightmare emerged. It's real. It's fat, heavy head brushed at the ceiling. Its nearly translucent skin quivered in unholy anticipation. Long fingers curling and uncurling. The maggot thing walked towards Jake, its gait long and unnatural. It was a hulking horror unlike anything else that Jake had ever dreamed of. Cold emanated from it. He could see the air twist, an aura of sheer rhyme. The corpses swung their legs around and set their feet on the frozen floor. Sheets slithered down in unison, the sound nearly lost under the roar of the portable cooler. They began to close in, each lurching body still grinning. The maggot thing's head twisted like a towel in a ringer. The skin split in several places, the blue wounds bloodless and gaping. It hunched over, pressing its gargantuan hands on the nearest gurney. The metal twisted under its weight. They planned to claim him, as they had so many before. The first corpse grabbed at Jake. Jake fought, but it was no use. They were too strong. There was too many of them. They had him by the arms, by the legs, by the neck. He thrashed uselessly. The maggot thing turned its head skyward in vile ecstasy. Its skin twitched, the veins inside squirming. The voices in his head had gone silent. They had nothing more to say. And that's that. Remember, you've got 14 days to create something and share it, either with me or with everybody. That one's up to you. But get it done. Now get out of here. I've got work to do and you're in the way. Now what the hell is this Twitter thing you've got set? Oh, no, Jesus, is this another phone? I've told you before I don't like these. All right, fine. What is it? Ad hooks of horror? Yeah, that's real original. All right, well, I mean, they'll either find her or they won't, I swear to God. (laughs) 
Thank you very much for joining me for another episode of Hooks of Horror. I am so very grateful that these three talented authors went ahead and shared a story that they wrote off of last episode's prompt. Uh, I can only hope that one day I can write as well as them. However, I would hope that all of this has served only to encourage you to actually create and explore your creative pursuits. Um, that said, <sighs> this is a busy one. And as such, you can expect another episode to release on either the 11th or 12th. So next Monday or Tuesday. And then the regularly scheduled episode after that. Uh, moving forward, I think what you're going to end up seeing is if we get more submissions than, say, the three per episode, you'll probably see a smaller episode in between. So, that's good. Hope everyone's having fun with this. I know I still am. My voice is a little raw today, so, I mean, hope that didn't impact things too much. And I look forward to seeing everybody on the next one. Please don't forget to leave a review on your way out. Uh, just a couple of quick sentences and one or two little stars up there on the top. Hopefully five. But, I mean, however many you feel like giving me, uh, they are legitimately the lifeblood of a podcast. They do help me get out to more of you, and that's something I hope that we both want. Now, go ahead and go and uh, do the writing thing. I'm off to camp. I'm going to stay in a tent. For four days. I can't tell if that's going to be a good or bad thing just yet. <laughs>